Welcome to Brother from Another. Uh, Dr. Jason Johnson, who told me he cannot dance, but continues to do that thing to let everybody know that he can't dance. That little thing. So that I can't dance. Uh, okay. I want to make it clear you to everyone. Dance. Yeah, but you but you don't have to let them know by doing that thing that you do. That little, that little <laughs> dance thing you do. So I don't want so there to be when, any confusion. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you. All right, when when the song comes on, like what's your song? What will get you? Even everybody, even people who can't dance, I include myself. Even when people can't dance, they can't dance. They got a song that will get them to the floor. What is the song that gets you to the floor or will make you drop everything you're doing and be like, hey, that's it. I'm going to try to dance even though I can't. I mean, if I am anywhere from the dance floor to church to getting my car washed and I hear those important words right about now, um, you know, when, when it takes two starts playing, I am obligated to dance. Now it may not be good dancing. It may not be rhythmic dancing. It may be yeah. somewhere in between like, you know, Dwayne Wayne and, 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 and Elaine from Seinfeld. Like it's in that range, but I will <laughs> dance there. if right. somebody's playing that song. So yes, for me, it's the words. This is a story of a famous dog. Hey, hey, atomic dog. That's it. That's it. I don't know what's in that song. I can't dance, but I, if I hear a, a atomic dog or or old school going further old school. By the way, a shout out to the groove. Uh, that's Sirius XM channel 50. We're on Sirius XM channel 85 after the show, you know, kind of sample the groove for a little bit. But right now, stay with us on brother from another. Thanks for joining us. Um, Anything by Roger Troutman, more bouncing down, something like that. It's the same. It's the same lyrics wow. over and over. Do you know the Do you know the lyrics to the song? It goes more bounce. I mean, it's more ounce. bounce to the ounce. It goes just just over and over. It goes yeah, just more bounce <laughs> to the ounce. Anyway, uh, let me tell you this, uh, Jason Johnson, <laughs> Doctor Jason Johnson. Always great to see you on the show, and I, I I think I know you well enough, and I trust you. So I can share a dream I have. I can share a dream I have with you. Ooh. If I had all the if okay. I had a lot of money, if I just had all the money I needed to invest in anything, if 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 I just got this one wish, we'll 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 pretend that this is Aladdin and one wish, only one, you can have all the money. Rubbing you the need, magic lamp. Right. To invest in anything you want to invest in. You know what I'd do? I'd invest in an NFL franchise. Because if I invest in an NFL franchise, everything else I want to do is going to happen for me. This is a Jason. Yeah. It is a foolproof investment. You can't go wrong. It's the one business where you can can't be go an wrong. absolute idiot. You can be an idiot and make money. Yes. It's a beautiful thing. You so can be an idiot when I see you can be an idiot. Yeah. You can be morally corrupt and it'll work great for you. Yes. Yeah, right. Like all those things. I, and and why am I bringing this up? Because I'm thinking about Daniel Snyder. The news today is that Daniel Snyder, now we're, he's brought in his bank, Bank of America, that's his bank, and he is investigating uh, a possible, exploring, that's the word, exploring all options on the sale of the Washington Commanders. Now, I just want you to keep this in mind. You want to talk about irony. I think I'm using this this uh, this term correctly. And and since uh, you're a doctor and I'm not, 
Uh, you can correct me on this if this is the wrong usage. I think irony applies in the case of Daniel Snyder. He was 34 years old when he bought the then Washington Redskins. He was 34 and he made his money. I, I don't know if a lot of people know this. People in Washington know, but people around the country may not know that he made his money in marketing. Isn't that hilarious? I mean, like, he was a marketing <laughs> genius. He, like Daniel Snyder yep. made he his was. money he in was. marketing. And now you look at the state of the Washington Commanders who are a marketing disaster. I think that's irony. I think that is. But anyway, uh, he bought the team, Jason, for $800 million in 1999. $800 million. And if he actually does go through with the sale of the team, he's going to get maybe four, five, six billion dollars. He is now yeah. that would suggest that he's done a good job with the Washington Commanders. He, it, it would suggest he's been a good steward uh, for the last 23 years. We know he has not yet. Uh, he and his wife Tanya there and the Snyder uh, Snyder family. They're going to make a bunch of money. He's still in his early 50s. As I told you, he bought the team when he was 34. He's not that old. He's in his early 50s. He's going to have a nice no. life if he sells this team. I, my question for you is, do you believe it? Do you believe he's going to sell the team? I don't believe it yet. I don't believe it yet. Here, here's the thing. Here's the thing, Michael. And I say this to people all the time. I say this to my friends on my, my two fantasy leagues one of which I'm actually doing halfway decent. I say this to my friends, we just sit around and we watch football on Sundays. Most of these owners don't care about winning. They don't care the way you do. They don't care where gambling right. does. They don't care where the networks yes. do. They don't care about winning. They own these teams because it is the most exclusive club that you can be in in America. It's way more exclusive than than the Republican Party or the Boule or the Boy Scouts or AKA any other organizations. Okay, there's only mm -hmm. 32 teams. There's only 32 people who can be owners of these 32 teams of the most popular sport in America. It's a letter jacket for them. Okay, it's a tattoo across the chest. That's why they own these teams. So I don't believe that Dan Snyder, who has taken hits for his horrible management of the team, not just as far as play on the field, but I'm talking about within the organization. When you have accusations of decades of sexual harassment and abuse, when you are accused of making cheerleaders take topless photos for season ticket holders. When you're accused of sending cheerleaders to other countries and taking their passports so that they cannot leave for uncomfortable things that you want them to do. When you engage in that kind of behavior, the only club you've got left is a group of other billionaires who will cover for you. So do I think he's going to sell this team? No. Do I think he's exploring right. options? Yes, because it sounds nice. But I promise you, Dan Snyder yeah. is still going to be the owner of the commanders in the fall of 2023. Because of what you just mentioned, that's why I have, as I said, uh, I've got skepticism, I've got suspicion, I've got cynicism. Any other any other adjective you want to put on there, uh, any any kind of words you want to use, those words would be appropriate. Because of what you just said, there's no nobody can make you give it up. I, I, I know nope. I know NFL NFL owners technically have the right to do it 24 out of 32 have to come together and say you're out but I just have a hard time believing that uh, Robert Ursay looks around the room Jim Ursay I always do this 
uh, Robert was his dad, Jim Irsay. Jim Irsay looks around the room and says, me plus 23. Who's coming with me? I don't think he's got 23 <laughs> votes in there. I don't think he does. And and the commissioner, I don't, I, don't. I think Daniel Snyder spoke some truth when he said, and, and you know, in that, that story, uh, we talked about ESPN story with Seth Wickersham and Don Van Natta Jr. had the story like, hey, Roger knows. I got some stuff on Roger. So I don't think the commissioner is going to push these guys to come together. Can we can we get yeah. another vote and another? You know how they do in some of those organizations that you mentioned, uh, Doc, where they, they have votes. Yeah. And so they need a certain number. They don't reach a certain number. They take a break and they come back and they vote again. And and pretty much the, the mm -hmm. message is we ain't going home until we reach this number. I don't think I don't think Roger Goodell is going to do that with Daniel Snyder because no. of what it potentially opens up for him and the rest of these owners. Michael, not only are you absolutely correct, let me put this in a more granular level. All right, 23 and me is what it would take to remove him. And that ain't in the DNA of any of these owners, if you get my dual meaning. Uh, nice. okay? Like, it ain't oh, in their nice. DNA. I love it. They, I don't, love it. they don't hold other people accountable. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I don't see that happening at all. And here's, here's the other thing, though, that I think is important. You mentioned at the beginning. When you talk about the value of these teams, the Washington football team has always been a top three, top four most valuable team in the yeah. entire country because of where they're located. It ain't because of how they've won. It's because you're in Washington, D.C., so you don't just get the local D.C. metropolitan area money. You also get every single dignitary, every business person, every world leader who decides, I want to watch American football on a Sunday. I heard you guys have this weird game that looks like trench warfare from World War I, right? That's the kind of money that you get. And he has access to people that he will never have access to again. Now, look, I theorized a couple years ago when they were doing the name change, I thought he was going to sell the team about a year or two ago. Because I thought, hey, what better way to drive up the price, right? If you were going to sell it for $5 billion, maybe you can get $6 billion if you say, I'm not only selling the team. I think I actually said this on the show with you and Michael. I'm not only going to sell the team. I'm going to sell the naming rights, right? Like, you can, you can add an extra billion. That's like telling somebody, it's like, hey, I started the basement, but you get to finish it if you're selling a new house. I thought he was going to sell the naming right. rights. But once he decided to name it this god-awful 1980s superhero villain name, the Washington Commanders, which still makes me think of someone screaming Cobra and smacking Destro upside the head, I knew he was going to hold on to this team for a while longer. Yeah, and this is, uh, this is quite a return on investment for Snyder. As I said, came in at a record price. Came in at a record price at $800 million. And he's going to go, whoever, whoever sells. I mean, it's just going to keep, just get used to that phrase. Right. Uh, sold for a record price, bought for a record price, because the next, uh, the next buyer of an NFL franchise, most recent is Denver. And that was four and a half, 4.6 billion, something like that. That was the Broncos. So right. you buy, you're buying at a record price. If you sell, you're selling at a record price. And a lot of these owners who just sit here, they remember I'll call it the Millionaires Club because those are the owners who actually bought their team for millions and not billions. So the Millionaires Club, right? And, and the th and the hundred thousand club. Oh my! You know that's like that old money. That's the Fords and the Hallises and the right. Maras. That's a different game altogether. So it's just wealth. It is just this generational wealth 
just folding over and folding over and tripling and quadrupling and doing all sorts of things with your money as you sit there and doc as you said it right as you sit there whether your team is good or not you mean the Fords the Fords right in Detroit and then and Vinny has talked about it. He has had a great acronym for Ford found on road dead. <laughs> okay, uh, that's their team. <laughs> They've won one playoff game. They won one playoff game one since 1957. One playoff game since 1957. And you know what they are rich one. wealthy. Yes, <laughs> so you don't you don't have to do Michael, anything. I'll and, take and it one why, step further. Why, why would he do it? Why would Daniel Snyder do it? Is is yeah. because if the NFL is forcing him to do it, then it goes back to that my original point of I don't think they would do that. I don't think they'd lean on him that way. They don't have any kind of leverage no. over him. No. Is he just no. tired of it? Does he just want to take the money? Like I I don't understand why he would do it. That's why I'm so skeptical. And, and here's the thing. I say this about Dan Snyder. I've said this plenty of times about current president Joe Biden. When have we ever known really rich old white people to just give up power because they want to? Joe Biden's going to run for president in 2024. I never heard of an old, rich, powerful white person saying, I'm just done and tired of running things. I, that does not happen, okay? People don't give up NFL franchises just for the heck of it, just because they feel bad, just because a couple of people in the streets say, I don't like you and I don't want you to have this team. But I, I, I think you're also pointing out something that's really key here about how the NFL is, of course, a representative of how the United States in general works. You've got massive, massive, massive generational wealth handed to people who oftentimes did not earn it on their own. They're riding on the backs of generations of wealth that was produced before them, and they still think they're entitled to access to anything and everything. Most NFL owners, who we can't name unless you're a huge fan, these people are wealthy at a level that if they woke up tomorrow with Donald Trump and Oprah Winfrey's money, they jump out a window with depression. Okay, like that's that's how rich these guys are. That waking up with Oprah's money would be depressing right. to them. So when you're talking about that level of wealth, these aren't people who are concerned with what the regular commoners and commentator people feel about how they manage their teams. They are more about acquiring the level of power and maintaining that power regardless of the circumstances. If you can buy the Broncos that hadn't been to a Super Bowl, hadn't been to the playoffs in seven years, if you can keep the Detroit Lions who have one playoff win in almost 50 years of most of our lives, if you can keep the Washington football team, which is just riddled with scandal one way or another, if anybody could buy the New Jersey Nets, which have been a trash team for decades on end and then filled with equally problematic players, ain't nobody giving up this level of power. One man can have all that power and it's not yay. It's Daniel Snyder. He's not going anywhere. Oh, uh, yeah. Way to way to land that plane too. Way to land that plane. I thought when you first said it, I was like, oh, is that a reference to, to Malcolm X? You know, the scene he's outside the LA police department and the police sergeant is looking there and said, oh man, one man. And he goes like this. Power. Yeah. Then then X goes, okay. And they turn and they walk off. Ooh, powerful scene mm -hmm. in there. But and they walk uh, off. As we go to break, I do want to clarify as we go to break. Sure, I had all the money in the world. I'd invested in an NFL franchise, but then Doc, I would feed the hungry. I'd clothe the poor. I'd 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 carry out I'd care I'd carry out the exhortation of the gospel to look out for the least of these. I'm looking out for the least of these. Yes, I will. <laughs> but I need my franchise. 
I need my franchise because that money just keeps rolling over. And what? Hey, hey, and, and tell me what position do you want? What position do you want on my team? You have a position. You want to be on the coaching staff? You want to be on the? I would be a general manager. I'd be a general manager, and I would have a field deck. Well, I'm gonna tell you this: as my general manager, you're not trading for Russell Wilson, okay? I know you try to you try to convince me. <laughs> Where's this coming from? Where's this coming That was the first. That was the scene of Darvin Ham's first victory. <laughs> first victory. It was not a championship. It was not a, a clinching <laughs> of a playoff berth. It was his first victory. And look, I get it. I get it. First time head coach. It's the Lakers. There's a lot of scrutiny on this team. Kurt Heelan, Pro Basketball Talk. I thought I, I, I'm not as cynical as I sound right now. I actually thought it was uh, a nice little glimpse into an NBA locker room. What did you think of that? that scene following Darvin Ham's first win as a Lakers coach. I expect nothing but cynicism from you. I don't, I don't know, Michael. Um, Actually, I'm with you. I look, you got to celebrate along the way, right? You got to celebrate the victories and it's your first victory as a head coach. Darvin Ham should have been a head coach five years ago. So you're going, he should have been a head coach a long time ago. So good for him, right? Like I, I'm glad to see them celebrating this. I'm glad to see them having, um, a little bit of joy in what has not exactly been a joyous season for the Lakers to start. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it hasn't been a, a joyous season for them, but they still have their head coach. Okay, they still have him. He's there uh, a, a few games into the season. They have not moved on on the flip side. I can't wait to talk to you about this and I know Doc can't wait to talk about it uh, either. The Brooklyn Nets uh, and, and the, oh, I guess the only surprise for Steve Nash is that um, he didn't last until mid-November. He didn't last past midterms. Yeah. <laughs> like midterms came in early. <laughs> you out. <laughs> they got him out. How do you see this situation <laughs> unfolding in Brooklyn now? And how did it unfold to get us to this point? You know, Steve Nash is going to go back to Southern California and Manhattan Beach and walk up to get coffee in 65 degree weather in February and it's going to be okay, man. He's just, he's going to be, he's going to be all right. I, I think he's probably happy to be out of that situation a little bit. I don't know. You know, we'll see. They bring in I mean, Adoka or whomever, whoever, and that's, we're going to have that conversation, but they bring in whomever. Steve Nash didn't cause the problems. He couldn't solve their problems. But he was also not the cause of, look, Steve Nash isn't causing Ben Simmons to be afraid of getting fouled and not shooting. Ben, Steve Nash isn't the guy who put together an undersized team that can't defend inside and has little rim protection. The issues that are there are going to be there for whoever the next head coach is. And I don't, I don't know that just Kevin Durant being Kevin Durant can overcome it. Does it strike you guys that way? Like Kevin Durant being Kevin Durant isn't going to be enough with this roster. 
Yeah, yes, yes. If you were a nominally competent coach, I cannot stand all of this nonsense and sadness about Steve Nash. Steve Nash was a terrible coach. He wasn't. He was. He was nasty. He was awful. They never should have hired him. It was a ridiculous nasty. level of Hall of Famer affirmative action, and I don't think he should have had those MVPs anyway. It only happened because they got rid of hand checking. He's never even taken a team to the finals. Steve Nash shouldn't have been anywhere near a coaching staff unless they were taking end of the year pictures. So. Is it enough to have a Kevin Durant? Yes. If Kevin Durant is your best player, you shouldn't be getting swept that consistently. If Kevin Durant is your best player, you should be able to think that you could get to the Eastern Conference Finals. And he never accomplished any of those things. Is Ben Simmons a problem? Of course he is. The guy doesn't know if he wants to play. Kyrie Irving a problem? Yes. He doesn't know if the earth is flat. He doesn't know if the earth is round. He doesn't know what his background <laughs> is. He doesn't know anything about himself. And he clearly doesn't know anything about defense. But Kevin Durant is enough for someone to be successful, and Steve Nash should have been fired a year ago. I'm happy that he's gone. I'm happy that Ume Udoka is there. And my question for you is, can Ume Udoka take what he did in the second half of the season with the Celtics and turn that into first-half success with this Nets team, given the personalities he's working with? Sure, he can do it if they trade him Robert Williams. And then he could start him in the paint. Like that was what turned them around last year. There, two things happened. They got they'll quietly people around the league will tell you they got rid of Dennis Schroeder, remember, and they put the ball in Marcus Smart's hands, which Marcus Smart isn't the greatest playmaker ever, but that flowed so much better. And Marcus Smart and then Robert Williams turned them into a defensive juggernaut the second half of the season. I don't know that that exists. I think that that's your challenge in in Brooklyn. You're going to outscore some teams. You can be better. Kyrie Irving finds his groove. Kevin Durant's Kevin Durant. They do have shooting. Like, you can put up a lot of points with this team. Push comes to shove against the elite teams of the league. They just – and it, the elite teams of the league or last night with Zach Levine, you can't get stops in crunch time. You're going to lose games. Yeah, you know, I'm just so, I'm just so fascinated. I mean, there's so many um... – institutions of higher learning in New York. I feel like every department could could go into the Brooklyn Nets and just have some case study. I mean, psychology could do it. Journalism uh, <laughs> like, like law. I mean, there's so there's so much stuff with Brooklyn that like consider this uh, Kurt and, and Jason. They're bringing in a controversial coach and nobody's really even focused on that part of it. Oh. I'm talking about Kevin Durant and no. Kyrie and the, Oh, that's how defamation league is, is is got eyes on him and Durant wanted Marks and Nash gone. Now Nash is gone. Is is Marks ne next and Joe side tweeting about Kyrie? I mean, it's it's amazing that all this is happening. And Ime Udoka, who was the first coach that I can remember of in the history of the league, who's been suspended for a season, comes in and you're like, okay, yeah, Ime Udoka. I, I, Kurt, is this the right move? Bring in an email. Uh, if you don't care about bad PR, sure. Um, I don't think it's on it. Let's be honest. It also does not send a great message to the women in your organization. I, I, just to be blunt. I mean, this is a guy who, if you're suspending the guy who took you to the finals for a year and we don't know all the details, everybody's got pieces of the puzzle nobody's seen the picture yet but right. if they're if the Boston Celtics are feeling that they've got to do that for their team and their culture and their organization it 
I think he's a great coach, but this smells of desperation of, I don't know where else to go. Well, it smells of desperation. It also smells of, let's be honest. Guys, you know who Kevin Durant wants to be coach? I think I do. Like, it's pretty obvious what's going on here. Um, but I think he can do the job. I'm just, I think there will, I think the backlash is coming. And I just don't know if the Nets care at this point. They've put so much into making this work that they'll, they're bringing in whoever they can. Is that, I mean, Jason, is that how you're seeing it? Look, look I, I, I got to be honest with you. I, I, this is the reverse of how you get fired on your day off, right? Because it's like, how do you get hired in the midst of a massive, massive suspension that the likes of which yeah. we've never seen before? That says yeah, something. Crazy. It says something about the Nets. It says something about Boston. But one thing I can say, and I do believe this about the Boston organization, I do believe this about the Nets, I do believe this about a lot of different organizations in the NBA. They do background checks. They yeah. vet people. Whatever it is that Ime Odoka did, and I've said this all along, it clearly wasn't something enough that he could be fired for it because if it was enough to fire him they would have fired him they clearly couldn't find something that was actual enough to fire sure him so that. all they could do is suspend him because they didn't want the guy in the building yeah I'm not, so I, if it's not know, fireable, I guess the Nets thought it was clean enough but you know what Kurt and Jason I'm not sure that's true in the firing I think uh, their their language yesterday the Celtics you know according to sources the Celtics will allow him to go without compensation. I think it, that confirmed <laughs> yeah. that it was the reason they didn't fire him was financial. Like, yeah, okay, I'm... if we fire you, we're going to have to pay you something. Like, they cut his salary in half with the suspension. He agreed to it. Mm -hmm. But if they fire him, I mean, the guy just signed right. a, like, four or five-year contract, and then you fire him, you're going to have to have some huge settlement or you're going to have to pay him up. And you might get a lawsuit. He might sue you. So you wait it out. You wait for somebody to come in and scoop him up, which the Nets are about to do. <laughs> you don't even ask for a second round pick. You just say, hey, you just hope nothing changes yeah. their minds. You don't want to say anything that offends them. <laughs> this is this is off of your books now. And now you just saved you saved yourself truly millions of dollars by the Nets having their dysfunction. I think that's why they didn't fire him. I'm kind of shocked. I expect there to be a, the equivalent of the non-pick pick. Hey, uh, it's a top 55 protected second rounder. So if it's one of the last five picks, you can have it. But like they're going to throw one of those in. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so so if we if we don't think the Nets are are uh, are any good, uh, who is? Who is? I, I know it's so early in the Eastern Conference. Yeah. Um, you know, you can't really get a sense of. Is it Milwaukee? Is it Boston? Even in the Western, even the Western Conference, the Warriors lost again last night. They're three and five. But if you had to look at it, Kurt, is there anything you've seen that makes you kind of go back on your preseason predictions? I'll tell you the one team that jumped out at me that I was not high on going into the season, and I wrote a whole story about not sleeping on them anymore. Suns look really good. The Suns look very, very good. They seem to have. They, do. I mean, they won 64 games they won 64 games we shouldn't be shocked right like they went into the playoffs last year up until that blowout game against Dallas we kind of all were it'll be the Suns right and then we've got way off of them they haven't they've gone back to being who they are Chris Paul isn't maybe quite himself but Devin Booker is playing out of his mind 
Cameron Johnson dropped 29 last night. They put him in for Jay Crowder. It gives them more offense and more athleticism. Everything's clicking there. De DeAndre Ayton's just doing his thing, man. Just, just doing his thing. What, what contract problem? I don't know what you're talking about. In fact, when we were in the locker room, we tried at one point somebody to ask him about, the, you know, how they're playing this season, how they got past what happened at the end of last season. Because his exact words were, "I don't talk about last season. I talk about this season." They, they are, they have put last season behind them and want to show everybody that that's not who they are. And so far, so good. They look like a team that's going to challenge again at the top of the West. And, and the, the Warriors are three and five. They'll be fine. Like there will be other teams there, but the Suns, the Suns impressed me. Kirk, I got to ask you this, though. It seems like the Suns rise at the beginning of every season, right? Yeah, this, is, this is why I don't yeah. usually pay that much attention to the NBA until until Christmas. I don't I don't usually care about the NBA until Mariah Carey starts singing in that Santa suit, right? Because until then, <laughs> it's basically just extended practice. What is your faith that the Suns are going to be able to keep this going? We're going to have the inevitable uh, Chris Paul injury. We're going to have the inevitable slowdown. Do you think they've got enough gumption going right now that they could end up a number one or a number two seed and actually advance to the finals again? Because they always look good at the beginning of the year and then they always end up stumbling. So, so what you're saying is you're looking forward to the Mariah Carey versus Taylor Swift top of the charts battle. That's what we're looking forward to now. Pretty much. That's that's what matters to me. <laughs> um, I, I just I have belief in belief in Monty Williams, man. I just, I believe that he, if one coach, and by the way, Chris Paul, I guess, goes into this with locker room leadership. If, if guys were going to be able to get them past all this and kind of get them focused again, I think it's those two guys. I don't know that they can beat a peak Warriors team. It, whatever the Clippers will become, they're treating this like a marathon. We'll talk to me in January. Like there's a whole lot of those kind of teams. But I think the Suns mm -hmm. look like a team that will be in the mix. Now, by the way, if we're talking about guys that impressed me when I saw them in person, Zion. And not just because that guy is a physical force of nature. Dude, he is passing really well right now. He is drawing. The game has slowed down for him. He's drawn the defense. He's seeing where he's got to go. He's not just making the simple pass. He's kicking two ahead. They got shooters all over the place, Trey Murphy, and, and, and on and on down that line. Even Jose Alvarado, like the guys are knocking down shots, but he's, you can see the game has slowed down for him and he's really matured as a player. So, so, uh, uh, you know what, last question for you then, because I, 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 you know, it was easy to say it last year because everybody was on John Morant, same draft, number two pick, Zion number one. Hey, John Morant is better than Zion. We haven't seen Zion. We forgot about him. If you had to pick, one of those guys. You had to pick one. You could only have one between Zion and John Morant. Who do you pick, Kurt? Long term, I'm probably still taking Jaw, but I'm my concern is, is literally with both of them. Which one of them holds up longer? Because I think they can both be right. forces of nature. But Jaw's style of play with that, he is not the thickest guy and he's throwing his body around, it is so much fun to watch. He is the most entertaining player in the league for me. He makes me stop on league pass every time. I will go see him every time I get the chance. I, I worry about his long-term longevity. And Zion, I worry about his long-term longevity. Man. <laughs> right. <laughs> Michael, right. Michael, I got to jump yeah. in real quick and say this. 
I, I, my choice between the two, if either one of them could get like a knee transplant from Megan the Stallion, then I'd believe in them. But their health, <laughs> the inconsistency of their knees yeah. and their legs to play this game, I can't I can't put much stock in either one of these guys right now. Yeah, it's that's see, that's first, the risk. Okay. Doc, see, this is why we gotta take a break. You bring up Taylor Swift and Mariah Carey. So now I'm thinking about Mariah Carey and Taylor Swift. Now you're bringing up Megan Thee Stallion, and I'm flustered. So, you know, <laughs> Kurt, uh, good to see Kurt. <laughs> Kurt is, is really great. Uh, music, please, music. Uh, uh, we'll, uh, we'll check in with you later. Oh, my goodness. Take care, guys. Thank you so good much. Good talking to you. All right. Always a pleasure. When did racism against white people become okay? Joe Biden put white people last in line for COVID relief funds. Kamala Harris said disaster aid should go to non-white citizens first. Liberal politicians block access to medicine based on skin color. Progressive corporations, airlines, universities, all openly discriminate against white Americans. Racism is always wrong. The left's anti-white bigotry must stop. We are all entitled to equal treatment under law. America First Legal paid for this ad. All right, uh, Jason Johnson, uh, I saw this and I said, okay, this can't be real. This cannot be real. It is. Uh, I, I really have no words for it. Uh, I know you do. You always have words for every situation. Uh, what did you think when you saw this ad? And tell us what does it mean? What, what are we trying to accomplish here? Well, first off, I think it's really important to remember this is how a lot of white people in America think, right? Like, let's let's not be confused. Not all, but large numbers of white people in America think, and there's poll after poll that's shown this, that they think that discrimination against white people by, I guess, the government or society or culture is equal to, if not greater than, discrimination against black people. You have large numbers of white Americans who believe, without any factual evidence one way or another, that there are policies and structures in place that deny them access to health care, deny them access to jobs, deny them equal pay because they're white. But we know that's not true. We know that's not true from COVID rates in this country. We know that's not true from we have a Supreme Court case about affirmative action right now where large numbers of black people have been kicked out of institutions of higher education. We know there's no systematic abuse of white people. We know this because of a certain reveal on another network earlier this week where a high prominent, high profile black person mentioned the fact that he makes significantly less money significantly less money than less qualified or less experienced white people who do the same job. So there is no structural attack on white people, but that belief exists. And there are white people who can be compelled consistently in every single election by being told your lack of success in life, what you haven't accomplished is because there's some mysterious cabal of, of, of liberal white people betraying the race and black people taking things from you. So I'm not surprised that this attitude exists. I am amazed that this commercial is running as prominently as it's running. I heard about it several weeks ago, and then now it's come to prominence and people are picking it up nationally, especially in a state like Georgia that voted for Joe Biden last year. But you know what? The old faithful of racism and anti-black racism is always going to be effective in a midterm year. So you speak, you mentioned midterms, and I do want to get your, your take on this. Because I, I love I love that feed. You know how much I love the feed item you put up a couple weeks ago. These polls ain't loyal. I, I keep thinking about that now. These polls the song, ain't loyal. 
when I think of the song, I think of <laughs> these polls, uh, which is probably better, which is probably better if you're going to sing along. Anyway, um, yes. so if the polls aren't loyal, and I asked you last week, if the polls aren't loyal, who is? My question for you this week, and I know you can answer it, is, is what do you think most people, what, what are most Americans looking for from midterms? What are they trying to say? Well, it depends on, it depends on where you are, right? Because, and it depends on what your options are. So, for example, if you are somebody under the age of 30, and I think we consistently discount and undercount uh, people under the age of 30 who vote, you've got a group of people who have never really seen a consistently good economy, right? I mean, they haven't. The economy wasn't great under Trump. The last year of his term was, was taken up by COVID. Uh, you know, they grew up in maybe the latter part of the better economy under Obama, but now they're sort of in an economic slowdown again. 26, 25, 28 year olds, they are frustrated. They want someone who's going to take care of their student loans and look after the economy. You get your 40 something, your 50 something, maybe married, maybe have kids. They've got other concerns. They're like, hey, why are my gas prices so high? Why is my insurance not covering my long COVID symptoms? Why am I having difficulty taking my kids in and out of school because there's some sort of outbreak? And by the way, I'm worried about a mass shooter coming in and blowing them all away because he's been activated by some MAGA nonsense that he saw on a TikTok reel. Those are vastly different concerns. And yet the solution seems to be you either choose a party that's interested in governing, which is the Democrats, or you choose the Republican organization. I've said for a long time, they're no longer a party. They're a dime store front for a terrorist organization. So that's the choice that Americans really have. The that's question is, words who right do there, they though. believe is going to be most effective at fixing it? That's, I'm sorry? That, that's the strong words. Now, let me ask you this. What, what, what do you, because I know you, you, are, you are friendly with a lot of people. What are some of your Republican friends, some of my best friends are Republicans. Uh, what, what are some of your Republican friends say to you when you uh, describe it, when you describe the party slash organization that way? Oh, um, they, they say I'm, I'm being hyperbolic. Uh, they say I'm being unnecessary. But here's the truth. When I talk to some of my Republican colleagues who are professional Republicans, they'll always admit it behind the scenes. They always do. They were terrified. Look, the people who broke in and tried to kill everybody in the Capitol on January 6th, they weren't checking if you were an R or a D. Okay, there was no research or development as to who they were going to kill. They were just going to kill you. Okay, and the Republicans know that they know that there are people out there that are willing to kill them because of crazy conspiracy theories about everything from grooming kids for pedophiles to kidnapping babies to drinking blood to using stem cells to stealing elections. They know that their organization has devolved into a personality cult for Donald Trump. Anyone who says that that's not the case is simply lying. Now, the Republicans that I know, and I know one guy in particular, we're having this conversation in Georgia, their attitude is, yeah, 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 I know this organization has devolved into a bunch of maniacs who have pled the loyalty uh, to a white nationalist fool who was twice impeached, who was consistently stealing government information and possibly selling it to the highest bidder. But I just think Joe Biden's too liberal. And so they want a Republican Senate or a Republican controlled House in order to hold back what they believe is an overly liberal government. But I'll tell you this, I can't think of anything that is a worse example of government overreach than the Supreme Court saying that precedent for the last 50 years, whether it be affirmative action or abortion or voting rights, suddenly gets thrown out of the window. If you care 
about a government that is getting into your personal business pants and bedroom, I don't see how you can vote for election denying people who are dedicated to a terrorist movement to take over the government, not to mention a formerly impeached, twice impeached president who steals national security information and hides it in the basement in his Florida mansion. Well, let's get to this quickly before we uh, uh, take a break and get into a lightning round. We talk about movies and music and <laughs> and sports and all sorts of things. And uh, and and Mia Culpa's Mia Culpa's from uh, Dr. Jason Johnson. So uh, before we get to all that, I want to ask you: Do you think that January sixth, January sixth, is that something that? Uh, Democrats want to bring up to remind their voters and are Republicans in general distancing themselves from it? Or do some people say, hey, I'm going to bring it up. Uh, Somehow I can turn this into a a conversation on patriotism and in zeal in a good way and passion uh, for for the good government. How how do you think uh, both parties are addressing January 6th if they address it at all? So there's two quick answers to this. Answer number one, why don't you steal cars? Why don't I steal cars? Why don't most people steal cars? Because they think you'll get in trouble for it. Not because they think there's anything in wrong, inherently wrong with stealing a car if you wanted it, but because they think they'll, be in, they'll get in trouble. In America, in our culture, our sense of right and wrong is situational. We know something is bad because we see somebody get in trouble for it. If they don't get in trouble for it, we eventually stop thinking it's such a bad thing. It happened with marijuana. It happens with all sorts of abuse in this country. The fact that we know for a fact that sitting members, Republicans in Congress, were assisting with the people who attempted to overthrow the government, and none of those people have been taken out of the building in handcuffs, none of those people have been trying out for an orange jumpsuit, has shown so many Americans, well, I guess it wasn't that big of a deal. People were offended by it, they thought it was bad, but no one important has been held accountable other than some weird shaman guy and a bunch of other folks that nobody walking in and out of Safeway buying breakfast is thinking about one way or another. So that's the first problem. The second thing is this, again, it depends on where you are. Tim Ryan, who is running for Senate as a Democrat in the state of Ohio, which is a mostly red state, I used to live there, running against this poser, yeah, Jim too. Vance, and, and lady, literally J.D. Vance, you know, he went on Fox last night and completely bodied him on January 6th. He's like, look, I'm on the committee for the Capitol Police. This guy paid to have people who I am friends with and I fund their jobs beaten and abused to take over the country. So you can make an argument. I think most Republicans aren't hiding from January 6th. They either say it's a bad thing or they say that it's being overblown. But at the end of the day, to your average person, if you don't see somebody go to jail, you assume, I guess it can't be that bad. So until Jim Jordan or Lauren Boebert or Marjorie Taylor Greene or one of those people faces the consequences or or Ron Johnson up in the Senate, until somebody faces real consequences for attempting to overthrow the government, no, I don't think it has as much an impact on the election in in a week and a half, uh, an election in five days. And that's a shame and a disappointing aspect of where our country is right now. All right, man, we got a lot more uh, with you. We got some uh, lightning round stuff to get to uh, with you. Play that music. There it is. There it is. There's the music. Oh, there you are doing the dance again. <laughs> so right. I can do my bad we'll dance. Be back soon. Well, <clears throat> Dr. Jason Johnson, this will be fun. Uh, Seahawks are five and three, leading the NFC West, and I see a feed item where you say you have to give Pete Carroll his props. So have at it. I'm, I'm, I'm working through this. It's not only Usher that has a confession. I have a confession to make. I underestimated Pete Carroll. 
I pegged the Seahawks, my team, they're still my team, even though I support Russell Wilson. Yeah. I pegged the Seahawks for five wins this year. I had never seen anything in Geno Smith that led me to believe that he could run an efficient offense. I thought the loss of Bobby Wagner would be too bad. I thought the fact that for the last five years, the combination of Pete Carroll and John Snyder had done a terrible job drafting offensive linemen, had done a terrible job of drafting defensive line talent, but all of those problems, and then the horrible Jamal Adams trade, but all those problems seem to have disappeared. I don't know how, I don't know what happened. I don't know if Pete Carroll's ego was so affected by the loss of Russell Wilson that he said, I'm going to show him, but my team has actually played well this year. Do I change my mind about what I said earlier this year? No, I do not. Because I think the last four years, Pete Carroll should have been fired. But what he is doing now and the sample we've seen in these eight games is impressive. Maybe, maybe he is the Larry Brown of the NFL. You remember Larry Brown, who used to coach? Larry Brown couldn't coach superstars. Larry Brown couldn't coach young players. He hated young players. But when he got those old heads in Detroit, where he got some young people that he could teach, he was okay. And maybe that's Pete Carroll. He could only teach young players that are still hungry and will listen to anything that he wants to say, even when he brings Jordan Peterson to to speak to the team. Maybe that's his best thing. And if this team continues, I actually think the Seahawks could end up winning the NFC West. I don't think he's coach well, of the year. I think that's the coach of the get New York ready. Giants. <laughs> get ready to go to a playoff well, game Carroll, in Seattle. Pete Carroll deserves my respect. He won it. Hey, reserve. Hey, hey, 2023 January, you will be in Seattle for a playoff game. All right, uh, let's talk about uh, Coach Prime. I think Coach Prime, his instincts uh, with the with the homicide of, of takeoff in Houston. His team's going to be in Houston. He told yeah. his players. You're not leaving. You're on lockdown. Uh, it's just too crazy out there. And it's just his commentary on on the tragedies that he's seen. I think a lot of I think a lot of people can relate to wanting to do what Coach Prime uh, is doing. And I don't. That's not the answer. But I understand where he's coming from. How about you? Yeah, I, I completely do as well. Here's the thing. This is the difference between talking about the culture and being in the culture. He just wants his, he wants his players to be safe. That's it. He wants his players to be safe. It's okay to tell your players they can't go out some nights. That's okay no matter what city you're in. So I actually, in this particular place, I may not know who is SWAC. Dion will tell me what that is, but I certainly know what good coaching is. And this is an example of good coaching. Uh, real quickly, uh, before we get out of here, yeah, yeah, Wonder Man, uh, Wonder Woman, what's up? <laughs> I'm excited. Yaha, Yaya Mateen, who you may know as Black Manta, who is also in Watchmen. He is now being cast as Wonder Man in a Disney Plus series. Wonder Man. Wonder Man is one of my favorite characters. He's connected to Vision. He's connected to Ant-Man. He's connected to Hank Pym. It should be a great show. More black heroes are needed on all TV shows. Look at that. Look at that. Jason Johnson getting it done. On a Wednesday, I love the apology. Stuck the I love lid. the apology for Pete Carroll. You know, that's going to go viral. Okay, we're putting that out there. Good, good to see you, man. 